Follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. So Ray, you're a registered intern therapist and you work with relationships and individuals. Correct. Um, And you specialize in sex therapy. You said identity, dysfunction, shame, and men's issues. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So we don't really know each other very well. Jen, you don't know. I don't know Ray at all. (laughs) Mm, Delicious. (laughs) Uh, Who am I sitting next to? I have no idea. (laughs) um, You're available for contact at Ray at livingauthenticity.com or 971-236-3531. You said a couple things during a training um, where I was present a couple months ago, and I was like, wow, those are really bold. And I remember I thanked you for saying them later, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said, as a man, it's probably really hard to advocate for some things because you're automatically the abuser to many people. Yeah. No, I'm sitting over here nodding. Um, Yes, it can be difficult to do that. Yeah. So why did you get started in therapy? Um, you know, initially, uh, I would just, I was in a rough environment growing up and I was just always very interested in the way other people behaved. Um, so, uh, I started my education as a researcher and then I figured out that research just wasn't for me. It didn't feel right. So, um, at least not the way I was seeing it. It seemed, it seemed like it was so regimented. It seemed like it was dehumanizing, uh, therapy and, and psychology in general just felt like pushing people through a Play-Doh mold. Mm. Uh, and that, that, that was terrible. Oh, so, um, it, you know, I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. So a Play-Doh mold. So you basically, you're like, I want to be this change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, give yourself so. more credit. <laughs> um, well, so- there are a lot of other people who were doing it as well and who still are doing that. But mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, the, the current model for therapy is all about evidence-based practice. Um, and that's, that's lovely stuff, but the science that it's based on keeps kind of getting disproven or really? pushed away. Let's yeah. talk about that. Okay. What is evidence-based practice? Um, Would so- that be like quantitative... Yeah. Research only. So numbers. Yeah. It's that, that very CBT, DBT type of stuff. And it does work really well for certain people for certain things, but not for all things. Jen, Um, you're a researcher. So how are you feeling? How are you hearing this? Um, I'm, I'm agreeing. Like whenever I hear evidence-based, that's the first thing I go to is like, oh, stats heavy. Right. Mm. Lots of stats, lots of data Mm -hmm. quotes. Okay. So evidence-based, so you said a lot of it's being disproven, like bad methodology or bad studies or? Um, disproven is, is not quite the right word, but certainly called into question. So um, yeah, some of the studies are bad. Some of the studies are uh, being found to be biased. Um, uh, the researchers go in with an answer and they kind of decide that they want this to be the therapy that works. So, you know, no surprise it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's so many ways you can ask a question yeah. too. absolutely I have a family member that I haven't spoken with in about two decades and I'm not very close to many of my family members but they reached out they're going through this major overhaul in their life right now after the age of 50 and they reached out to me and knowing what I talk about what I do and and they said I could tell that they wanted to tell their story and I know this person hasn't been in therapy mm-hmm. so I said because they said, if you're ever interested, I could tell you what re rediscovering your sex life after 50 is like. And I thought, well, I'm not a statistician, but quality like stories is what I live for because that's how I learn things. And then when someone else brings me something that they think is weird, I'm like, oh no, I've heard this before, <laughs> you know? So I asked if she wanted to email me and she's going to, and I'm just like, it. I'm interested because 
again, this is someone who's never been to therapy. So people have these things that they need to come out and they, they give them to you. Their stories to you, right? Right. Yeah, they do. Um, and that's, that's, I think how we really relate to people, each other is through story. That's, that's really how we tell our, our lives, our history is through those stories that make up, you know, who we are. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that the research community seems to value numbers and data over the actual stories of the people that they're studying? Is it, is it cause self-reporting isn't, isn't, Well, I mean, like quantitative data is valuable when you're looking at like with the CDC, like the stuff I dig through for, you know, like HPV stats. It's like these are the only numbers we have. How many people got tested this year? How many people got popped for it? We don't know what their individual circumstances were. When I say popped for it, I mean, got tested and it showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got to age out of my slang. Um so yeah, there's value to it too, but it's like people aren't numbers and they can't just be numbers. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to jump all over data. You know, I love data. I'm a researcher as well. That's kind of how I came up in the field is through research. Um, but I think, I think the answer is that it's scary. It's scary as hell to not know what the answer is. So, um, or why people are doing things or, how things are happening so it's easier to try and just quantify everything i mean we we have this tendency to want to reduce everything in my opinion down to something that's just predictable measurable things like that you know the mystery is scary it's terrifying Mm -hmm. so men's issues men's issues (laughs) yeah um panoply of stuff so it could be anger it could be uh frustration it could be shame it could be guilt it could be sexual stuff i mean all kinds of things um it's no different than anything else it's just putting a, a specific lens on it um you know as when we met you you pointed out and you mentioned here it's it's kind of you know it's an interesting spot to be in um to be male identified right now but just as a like cis hetero presenting man yeah you have your own shit to wade through because you're a big dude you would look like a scary guy if you had a mean look on your face (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um uh and and i'm not used to that still uh believe it or not um you know i was very small growing up so now the fact that i'm i'm the size i forget i'm the person that uh other people would want to avoid walking down the street basically so um Mm. I do my best to keep that in mind most of the time, but every once in a while I forget, you know, I get small and I'm like, wow, all this stuff out there can be really scary. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, probably not. <laughs> what are some things you you find to, to like, how? what are some considerations you make knowing that you are a bigger dude that takes some more space? Like, sure. Can you give example? Um, so, so I live in a part of town where it's, it's infinitely walkable and I'm always walking around and often at night or, uh, if I did drive somewhere else in town and I, um, I'm parking my car someplace and walking home. Um, if I'm the only person on the street, I just walk down the street. Uh, but if there's, um, someone else on the street, uh, especially if it looks like a female bodied person, I will usually cross to the other side of the street. That way I'm not behind them or in front of them or someplace, you know, that's Thank sort you. of, scary or out of their vision or something like that just because I don't want them to have to think about that. That's really nice of you. And you can't make those considerations all the time, you no, know? No, of course but not. But it's cool that you try. <laughs> well, especially when it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning or something like that. You do not want me walking up behind you. No. Because I walk quietly. Yeah. You and our Hello. editor just got stuck in the hallway next to each other in my narrow little hallway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you said that you poured through encyclopedias. Did you ever find your dad's porn? Because this is just a question I ask people now. Did you? You know what? I don't think my dad has porn. I don't think he ever had porn. Huh. I mean, the closest it came was like a um, uh, a fishing calendar with girls <laughs> in like bikinis and waiters holding trout suggestively. And, you know, I think that that's about as close as it gets. Were so, your uh, parents together? Yeah. No, my parents are still together. They've been together for, um, oh God, I don't even know how long. Uh, oh, interesting. Must be like 40 years. Huh. So the secret is fisherman's calendars. We, I guess. Yep. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> A plus B equals C. There we go. Figured I'm a it little out. shocked. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, um, so what do you feel like you can contribute? I mean, in your, in your practice, like being who you are or having an acknowledgement of that, 
what do you feel like you can offer? Oh God, this was an awful question. I know. Uh, when I saw this on the list, I, I thought about it and I went back and forth several times. Um, and I think it's, I really do think it is because I do have a lot of privilege. I sit at the intersection of a lot of privileges and, and some disadvantages in that, like, like we noted, but, um, because I'm sitting with them and because I'm aware of them, or at least some of them where I attempt to be, um, it's easier to identify them and it's easier to talk about them with others Mm -hmm. and, um, especially other men. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's a common, like there's common themes that you see in your patients? Do you say patients or clients? I say clients. Okay. I think people who, who come up in a more medical model tend to say patients. And, okay. But, but I'm a, I'm a humanist at heart, so I, I use clients. Okay. Do you, yeah. Do you see any common themes in them? Um, I, I feel mean, like confusion maybe, but not acknowledging that it's confusion. I think a lot of men don't know how they're supposed to be good. Yeah. How do I be a, a good, a nice, how do I be a nice guy is the guys that need the help. <laughs> not trying to be a nice guy, just trying to be a good person. Well, I'm, I, cu- I'm curious, how do they find you? Or is it through court mandated treatment or obviously, or do they come seek you out because they know that there's some problem within themselves that they're really unhappy about or? Sure. Um, some of it is just through advertising on my part. I okay. uh, advertise with, um, Portland Therapy Center and Therapy Den locally, you know, my own website, I market to other people other ways in more of a direct contact type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nobody's court mandated. Nobody comes to me because they have to. People come to me because they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sit them down and tell them that they probably don't want to come to me because it's, you know, usually a lot of work and it's long term. And I, you know, I really, yeah, I, I challenge people. Um, that's part of what I do. So tell, really, Sure. So what does that look like? You're like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want this? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I really try and make them aware of all of the, the sort of risks and things like that, especially couples. You know, some couples come in and they come in um, very late in their, uh, their evolution as a couple. And there's already a lot of arguments and bitterness and, um, mm-hmm. you know, even potentially violence, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they sit down and they, they sit when they start talking to me about all this, uh, you know, I let them know that one of the possible outcomes is that they're not going to be together anymore. Right. Um, and, and the same thing with, uh, with individual therapy. If you're coming to work with me, one of the outcomes is that you're probably not going to be real happy with you, with me, with things like that for, for a while anyway. Interesting. Um, because it's, it's, you know, when you get into self-investigation, you know, sometimes you find things you don't like and you've got to unbury the things you've been hiding or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's tough. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of work. Yeah. I, I remember someone telling me, they said therapy doesn't work if you're not honest. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely, I went into therapy telling my therapist, like I'm a horrible person, all of this shit. (laughs) Um, because uh, yeah, I did have a lot of shame about the bad decisions I'd made. Right. Um, but two years later, she says I'm making progress, but (laughs) she never gave me the, uh, this is going to be, you know, do you really want to, do you really want to do this work? But that's cool that you do. Cause also a lot of couples think that going to therapy is just going to make them a more functional couple when really they do need to break up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there scenarios where you suggest that to them when you're like, listen, this is for whatever reason, because of violence or just they're not suited to each other and they're miserable. I mean, do you ever make that recommendation? I have not seen any couples who are um, actually physically violent with each other uh there there are some cases where they're they're getting close where it's escalating to that or um there's grabbing or shaking or things like that Hmm. Uh, but that's that's even sort of rare a lot of people it just tends to be verbal and emotional violence Uh, that's that's where i think a lot of people are stopping it so Mm. i feel like grabbing and shaking i don't know i i had that in an in a well (laughs) i've had a few things but in a more recent adult relationship i encountered being grabbed by both my arms and kind of like maybe shaken twice. And it was at that point that something clicked that I was like, get out of the house. Right. And I wrestled with that. And I guess I still don't know what I would call that. It was definitely aggression. And I, I call, we were calling it physical violence. So it's hard to even name these things sometimes. And I agree with that. I I do agree that 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 is physical violence, but I want to try and differentiate it from 
Uh, punching, yeah, slapping, punching, kicking, slapping, throwing things, yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. And sometimes grabbing is a, a natural response to um, being startled. Mm-hmm. Um, someone can put up their hands, and uh, the the natural response is that there's a strike moving at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is grabbing. There are things like that that do happen that I think is. Um, I remember I got in an argument with someone, uh, I was like 18. It was a, it was a very, it was a political argument, actually. Mm-hmm. It was about, do you guys remember the Bush Cheney election of t- oh, 2004? Yes. I, wow. <laughs> I was 18 when that happened. Anyway, so I got in an argument with someone. It was my best friend at the time. Uh, he was a cishet dude, uh, still is to my knowledge. Uh, we haven't seen each other in a while. We're on good terms kind of, but he was a closer friend at the time and we were the only people in the apartment. And Whatever he said angered me so much. I put both my hands up and I just kind of pushed through him, like walked past him, but pushed him out of the way to move through him. Mm -hmm. And that was very upsetting to him. And that was the case of me being the aggressor. And for a while, I mean, that really hurt him because he's like, you almost hit me. And that was very scary for both of us. But at the exact moment, that was the only way I wanted to flee the situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I want to go back to what you said that you saw more of um, emotional and verbal violence. And if you could describe what that looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Jeez. For our listeners. Because there's some people who are listening to this and they're asking themselves, is, is my this, relationship abusive or is it turning that way? Right. Or people think that it can't, it's not abusive Until just because you, get you haven't hit. been hit. Right. So if you can give example of unhealthy behaviors, people might identify with that. Sure. This is, <laughs> this is going to take me just a second because sure. I'm trying to do this in a way that, that you don't out anybody. Yeah. That maintains right. confidentiality. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and I'm just going to try and a general stock of behaviors. How about you and me, Ray? We're in a relationship. Okay. What did I do to you that was terrible? Just make something up. Oh. What did I do that could be um, a gateway to abusive behaviors or is a problematic, you know? I, I think the thing that I see starting this most of the time is couples who develop uh, contempt for one another. Hmm. Um, and they, they start specifically trying to egg each other on. Um, they, they push each other's buttons intentionally. Um, things like that is kind of how it starts. And then I see a lot of, uh, I would say neglect is how it moves. Um, people who, uh, are distancing themselves in the relationship emotionally, um, sometimes physically, like just simply moving away from the person. Mm Um, and that neglect is uh, is often something that that raises people. It, you know, it really triggers something primal. Uh, it it scrapes at a wound, mm-hmm. and within that, you see people um, get enraged, get incensed. Uh, they they just, um, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about just suddenly being blackout angry, uh, and and I know I've been this way myself when something happened and I could not understand it or I could not process it, and I just felt like totally enraged about something um whether it was uh interpersonal relationship whether it was a political thing and Mm -hmm. and it's hard to you know it's hard to stop once you get the the wheels moving you kind of you know honestly i just sit on my hands uh now that's that's kind of where i'm at in my own evolution especially if you don't feel like you're being heard by your partner if they're shutting down yeah you can't get a response any other way but to yell at somebody Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's kind of the the thing one person in a relationship will tend to um speak loudly right and the other person will will get quiet and they'll distance and stonewall Mm -hmm. and uh to to get through that the other person will turn up the volume and the cycle keeps perpetuating and it's um you know i often see couples who don't realize that the violence is going on on both sides mm-hmm. um, and that it's usually deeply emotional uh, and that that's, that's the triggering issue. And men, um, you know, unfortunately we are, we are a culture to handle a lot of things with, with violence or with aggression or, or things like that. So it is really hard to escape that because suddenly your, your brain has gone offline um, or at least the parts that aren't lizardy uh, <laughs> and, and you do, you can't make, any sort of statement or think rationally or, um, you know, problem solve, things like that. Uh, you can't empathize. Um, but 
the way people communicate is the problem. I had yeah. um, I had someone close to me who realized that they were triggered upon hearing their partner talk to his mother on hmm. the phone. And she said, I realized that, um, she said, I, I, I had to go, I had to go deal with my anxiety in the next room. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, when this person realized the way they talked to their mother is the way they talked to me, like saying, shut up, I'm not done. Stop talking. This is how, Oh wow. yeah. And I said, you know, this is the, I've thought about it. And I said, this person, this man is, this is how he communicates with the women in his life. And there's mm-hmm. not very many, there's you and there's his mom. And there's a couple of his kids, but uh, he talks like this to all of them. So this is just how he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's is this what is this this toxic masculinity thing that we oh yeah hear about oh yeah this totally. is all this is all what we're talking about. Can we can we talk about what the difference between like regular like healthy masculinity? What and does healthy toxic- masculinity oh look like? What okay. does that look like compared to toxic masculinity? We don't have a model for healthy masculinity in yeah, this country in this culture. I don't. I don't think we do. I mean, what would you envision? I would like to see um, parenthood, like fatherhood. Mm-hmm become more prioritized uh emotions the emotions. full range of emotions uh in men especially part sharing a big thing for i mean a big part of the patriarchy is like not sharing your partner i mean women are more likely to swap you know it's okay to fuck other girls sure but it's it's definitely what do we call men that share their partner we call them cucks Yep. You're not a real man. You're, you know, <laughs> which is now the catch all phrase of the alt right. Oh, yeah. my God. Cuck has been around for like a couple hundred years. OK, that was the scariest thing when I heard this. Like, I, you know, I was maybe visiting my parents or it's something. And I heard it on Fox News. And it was, <sighs> cuck this, cuck that. And it was like, they say holy shit, Fox? they're talking about sex on Fox. Like, <laughs> what is going on? But they but the thing is, is they it, most of the people that I saw on the internet using the word cuck, I was like, you have no idea the history of that word at all. And there's men and there's people who like live in that space and they enjoy it and there is their identity. And like, that's really throwing a big middle finger to the patriarchy in my opinion. Do you, do you know the history of the word cuck? Because I only know it. I only know it as, I I mean, I kind of know what being cuckolded means. I guess I just figure because the right uses it that it must have some I sort of know iffy, this. that it should have some iffy racial history yeah. behind it too because they. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. right? Totally. Is there also some like. I just assume that it has some like civil war, you know. Oh, let's see. <laughs> the public medievalist.com. Cuck, the weird history of a disgusting word you're going to be hearing a lot more. This was published November 17th of 2016. So this was when the word was really. At its really, I think it's peak of use because it was right after the election. Um, so I guess the word first appeared in 1250 in a poem called The Owl and the Nightingale. Um, it's <laughs> wow, medieval people. So the guy begins to abuse his wife uh, in modern English, the poem. Everything she does, he objects to. Everything that she says irritates him. And often when she's not doing anything wrong, she gets a punch in the mouth. There's no man who can't lead his wife astray with this kind of behavior. She can be ill-treated so often that she resolves to satisfy her own needs. God knows she can't help it if she makes him a cuckold. Or I'm sorry, if she's being abused by her husband, it's no surprise that she would cheat on him. So that is a poem from the Middle Ages. Wow, that's... An- <laughs> that's-, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, since we're talking about the Middle Ages, this whole toxic masculinity thing, I want to jump back to that. Please. Um, the the modern masculinity, the the idea that we have right now that is so toxic, we have to remember, I think, is brand new. I mean, this is really in a lot of ways only the fallout of post-war. Um, prior to that, men had... Uh, relationships with children, uh, families, wives, things like that, um, and were considered uh, emotional and able to express emotion. I mean, I, I really think I've been looking at this a lot lately. It was post-World War One. Does that sound right to anybody hmm. else? To- Maybe. I mean, it was such a like bam, bam, bam of really rapidly industrialized wars. Mm-hmm. So, and it created a model through the propaganda of like the men are off fighting and the women stay home and hold it down. Um, which is like functional, I guess, in wartime, but. And also maybe a way to survive through austerity, you know, the austerity of mm-hmm. warriors. Right. Well, I mean, gender roles exist in order to get shit done. The idea is that one person covers 
the work and the other covers the home if you're not doing community models where everybody's sharing and it takes a village. So if you have that nuclear family, sure. But now both both partners work. You know, there's no there's no expectation that one would do one and one would do the other. It's like you both are going to have to be working. So that throws that out right there as like the man being the sole breadwinner, because that's just not the case for most people. But then we lost a lot of things in between where the men didn't start doing more housework. And I make these generalizations. But like when you when you read the studies where it says in in Denmark, you know, it's self-reported that partners do more equal housework and they report Mm -hmm. better sex lives and better intimacy because there's a sharing of burden. So I used to have this magnet on my fridge. I don't know where it went, but it was like a pinup style lady next to a guy in a suit. And it says, are you performing your gender? And I just think of that some days, some days when I'm doing stuff, I'm like, what is my gender? When I'm doing yard work, when I'm taking out the trash, you know, when I'm rubbing against someone's boner, when I'm being pretty, what is my gender? (laughs) What is my gender role? Anyway, I think you're, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I want, uh, people can write us, what would your idea of a healthy masculinity be? Pillow talk at strangebedfellows.com. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. All right, welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We have some listener questions for you. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm going to read this one and then we're all going to weigh in on it. I got this one. This is from a cis hetero dude. Perfect. Hey, pal, I was wondering if I could ask you for some advice. I broke up with my girlfriend of six years over a year ago, and I'm still not fully over her. I pretty much just want to get out and fuck as many girls as I can before I'm ready to settle down again or until I find someone that blows me away. Problem is, I'm pretty awkward. Girls that I find attractive, I always try to be the nice guy, and I always end up putting myself in the friend zone. I've had a few random hookups, but it's mainly been a dry spell for the last year. And the girls that I have hooked up with, I think I've kind of let them on a bit and they want more than just a quick fuck. (coughs) I don't like leading girls on, but I also don't like being that arrogant guy who just fucks someone and doesn't talk to them again. Mm. Don't be that guy then. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. (laughs) Even though being honest upfront about where you are in regards to looking for a relationship is probably the best way don't say stuff like oh i can't wait for you to meet my friends um my mom would love you we should take a trip sometime don't say shit like that if you don't mean any of it yeah people do stuff like that and then they're like why is this girl hanging on to me i don't know i want because you made her think there was a future if you're like oh i was in a relationship for six years i'm not ready for another serious one but i'm i'm trying to meet some people i connect with that sounds nice That sounds reasonable. Do that, you know, and connect with can mean anything because you also can't plan how your relationships will go. 
Let me throw in, though, that at the same time, also don't be that guy that's, like, always reminding you that it's just that, like, just don't catch any feelings. It's just sex. Don't be and over and over. Have and you over met again. those? I haven't met those. Oh, I have. Really? Yeah, I've, I've unfortunately have. Come is that what they think is that. communicating? Well, don't catch feelings, right? Um, it's really just kind of insulting once you've already had that conversation to constantly be reminded that you're disposable. Yeah, just so you know, I'm only doing this for touch pleasure. Or, or they're so wonderful that. Um, the touch of their body or the smell of their skin is just going to make you forget everything and you're, you're suddenly going to fall madly in love with them because they're <laughs> just so goddamn incredible, huh? Right. Ray, I really love what you um, wrote here. If you want to revisit it, I Yeah, so, so it. I took a look at these ahead of time uh, just so I had an idea of what was going on. And 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 I want to I give you uh, some love here, friend. Um, I, I really think that uh, that you're kind of mixed up. You know, I hear you saying that you don't really want to be that guy, as was said here already. But uh, clearly your actions are contradicting that. You know, the, the idea that you just want to fuck as many girls as you can is fine. If you want to hook up, ghost, and do that kind of thing, then you aren't really getting consent for sex in the first place, in my opinion. Hmm. You owe it to these people to, to be upfront about your intent. And again, you don't have to repeat it over and over. Mm-mm. One should be good. But you should let them know what your intent is. Yeah. And say it in a nicer way than just so you know, this isn't, this doesn't mean anything to me. Make yourself vulnerable and say, because this is how, this is what other people will respond to when they, when they're empathetic also, and they're eager and willing. If you make it about you say, I am not ready for a serious relationship, Mm -hmm. but I want to be around people. I would love to get to know you better. I would love to spend some time with you. Mm Mm-hmm. And my my concern here with this with this particular question is that that I think it's coercive. You know, I think inherently the the idea of saying I've led these people on a bit, so you know that you're manipulating these people intentionally mm-hmm. um, just to get laid, mm-hmm. and and you know that's again that's not right. Mm-hmm. That's that is not appropriately obtaining consent. Mm-hmm. Well, and also while trying to be a nice guy, which yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, it feels terrible. It feels terrible to be excited about someone and then just, oh God, I gave some guy a blowjob. I was really excited about him. <laughs> we dated for like a month. We went to dinner a couple times and then he said, okay, I'll text you tomorrow. And I didn't hear from him for a week. And then I texted him, what's up? And then I don't think I heard from him for three more. And then I had written that one off and he came around and apologized and it hurt. It mm. really hurt. It was like, oh my God, I let you to my house. You know, getting ghosted is kind of one of the crappiest, crappiest feelings. Yeah, I don't I I've, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever ghosted anyone because I know how bad it hurts. I mean, if you're afraid of someone, sure, go ahead, ghost them. But if sure. you're just afraid of them being upset because you hurt them, you hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be a nice guy, then you carry that burden and you try to. I don't know, do it with some kind of, what's the word? I'm, uh, I can't think of the Decorum. word. Decorum. Decorum. Yes, that's a good word. That's not the word I'm trying to think of. But yeah, it is coercive. It is because you're leading someone on to think one thing and then you're not like, oh, just kidding. Don't really want to spend time with you. And the fact that they know that they're leading somebody on. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. There's a lot of women that also want to have hookups too completely absolutely and we've had this question before jen like we had another question where it was a younger guy and i don't know the age of this person but he's like i can't find relationship because older women are trying to fuck me and they only want sex out of me they don't want they don't want to connect you'll never know someone's intentions unless you ask them well and then even then people lie so yeah just true that is true it's what ray said if you're not being honest you're being coercive I wonder if some people are looking in the wrong places too, um, because if you're looking to just go out there and hook up, I'm I'm pretty sure there are like apps, on everybody's <laughs> phone for that to do just that. Like you can make this happen, uh, and and your communication on it can probably be be a little bit minimal since you know. Yeah, that's yeah. There's apps and groups, and mm-hmm. I mean they're getting harder to find because the internet's like wiping them out. Did you guys hear that thing about now Patreon? They just did a slew of deletion of other nudity 
uh, other artists that post nudity on their on their accounts. So I think we'll be okay because there's no nudity on our Patreon, but more adult content is getting wiped. Thanks, PayPal. Thanks, PayPal, because PayPal own is the processing system that Patreon uses. Yeah, wherever yeah wherever PayPal has a hand, I think they try to wipe out uh-huh. sexual content. Uh huh. Commercial sexual content. I think I heard that there was only one payment processor for sexual content. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know I, what it's called? No, I, I think I heard that recently, and I'm just, it. as you are mm. saying this, it, it made me think of it, so. Spank Chain is the Bitcoin one. I haven't fucked with that. There's, I, there's some, I think, European or non-US payment processors, and mm-hmm. I've looked into a couple of them, but not a lot of people use them. The rates are higher. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's not like you can just use a Venmo or swipe a square. Uh, I guess like the wrap up for this person is like you have to be honest with yourself and like you are hurting people in order to avoid being hurt. And a lot of people do that. And I think a lot of men do that because they don't know how to deal with their hurt. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, I'm generalizing, but female bodied people, cis women, we tend to be raised to deal with other people's hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that in dating is just incidental, you know, like, I don't know, dating sucks. Did we give enough info to that guy? Like, did we give him any tips as to what he can do better? Because we ten- we co- we told him what he's doing wrong. Sorry, I just backed up again. Yeah. So I, if you're anxious, if you have anxiety as a man or you've got something else going on, um, anybody really, sometimes we, we do these... Um, you know, maladaptive, quirky behaviors to cover that up. And sometimes that is being uh, arrogant or, um, in this case, coercive, things like that. You know, you're covering up your own insecurities. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You can just go out there and you can find somebody who likes you for you, weird or quirky or awkward or whatever it is that you've got going on. Mm -hmm. um, And they'll dig who you are. Yeah, they will. I held... I held toes with my boyfriend the other day. That was disgusting. Have you guys ever tried to put your wrap? Oh my God, I do that all the time. Oh my God. It was, I would, his big gnarled foot. I was like, babe, I can't. (laughs) But he's like, hey, (laughs) want to hold toes? We're doing this. We're doing this right now. But yeah, find find the person who likes your weird shit. And you're absolutely right. You just have to be okay with being a little vulnerable. And that is how you are less likely to be a douche. Find the person that wants to hold your toes. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All right. Sorry, Jen. All right. What should one expect in their first sexual encounter? Not going to say losing my virginity because virginity is a social construct, but Mm. I'm thinking penis in vagina. I'm in a loving, healthy relationship and can see sex as something in the horizon. However, I feel fairly confused about it simply because I feel every YouTube video and Cosmo article have different information. Some say it hurts, others say you bleed, some say use lube, and all of it feels confusing. Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. Our listeners are so like, I'm not going to say losing my virginity. (laughs) I'd love it. And I love that. I love that. I thought it was amazing. I love that too. What should one expect in their first sexual encounter? I love that. Um, So for first sexual encounter... I don't know if you mean first sexual encounter ever, like if you guys are just holding hands at this point, or if you mean first, yeah, penis and vagina sexual encounter. So I guess that's probably what, I'm assuming you guys have done other stuff, maybe. We don't know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I read this, that there was there was the, uh, the thought of the PIV sex, which, yeah. and again, thank you for noting that, that not all sex is PIV. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all the info is is very different and confusing sometimes. I feel like it's a good uh I don't want to say boy scout, but I'm going to. Boy scout thing. What is it like? <laughs> always be prepared. Always be prepared. Like <laughs> have lube, you might not need it. You know, um you could have a towel, you might not need it. I mean, towels are mostly for period sex, but bring whatever you think you might want to have. If you feel comfortable with the idea of having a vibrator or playing with a vibrator first together or putting the vibrator in you first before penis, you know, like you can have these things. You don't have to use them. The only thing I would say use if if you're not on birth control is condoms and practice putting condoms on. Oh, yes, please. Get some freaking bananas. 
get some condoms. Get the cheap condoms if you can. Get the che- and like practice, really practice. There's a reason they used to teach this and they still do in some schools. Uh, was the video of the sex educator in the South. He put a sock on his foot because he couldn't, the school wouldn't allow him to use actual condoms and bananas to phallic. So in order uh. to demonstrate, yeah. Um, how to unroll a sock, I believe it is. Yes, how to unroll a sock and place it on your foot before you put your foot in the shoe. And he did this in a sex ed class. <laughs> That's kind of great, actually. Amazing. It's fabulous. Yeah, was that John Oliver? Who did this? Uh, he did the sex ed in uh, America, and that that educator was highlighted, which was great. Um, yeah, so have some things. Definitely practice with the condoms. Um, if you have sensitive skin, I would say get mm. polyurethane condoms. If you don't, don't worry about it. Um, the first time you put anything in your vagina it could irritate your skin it might not i didn't bleed the first time i had a dick inside me i bled a couple times after and if i have really rough activity i might bleed a little bit try to not but um there's no playbook for this stuff i mean yeah it's different for everybody i mean i i would say really one of the most important things is a that you're comfortable that you're in a space that's a bit private (laughs) at least a bit yeah at least a bit (laughs) private and where you'll have be able to take your time yeah it won't feel rushed and that the person that you're doing it with cares about you and cares to take care with you because that's not always the case Mm -hmm. this is such a nice message because i feel like they're not rushing yeah and and i want to echo that i think that's great and and add that make sure that um you talk about it ahead of time communicate Mm -hmm. um figure out what you both want out of the experience and talk about it a little bit and uh, it's not going to make it any less hot to talk about your first time. In fact, it might make it hotter because it's going to build some anticipation. Um, and you guys will be thinking about it and you'll be thinking about what you want. And while it's happening, uh, if something goes off the map and something starts happening that you don't want or you start to feel uncomfortable, say it. Say yes. it to your partner right then in the moment. Make it stop. It's okay. Yeah, you it's know? Like, can we do something different? Or, oh, I actually don't like the way that feels. Also keep in mind that this isn't the blue going to be the blueprint for every sexual experience that you have afterwards. I mean, <laughs> right. I really didn't enjoy my first time. A, a lot of people do. A lot of people don't. I didn't. But, I mean, but, I felt apathetic. But yeah, yeah. I, I remember being really disappointed that that's what sex was going to be like. And I didn't do it for a long time after that because I was like, well, that sucked. <laughs> my first All time right, sucked I've, too. I've done Did that. It? So it's keep in mind that it takes practice to get it right. You might want to take a breather after doing it and not doing it for a while. And that sex is going to be very different for you 20 years from now. Oh, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Don't expect it to stay the same. It's like anything else. It's like trying a new food, taking a new walk. Like you might have an idea. You might have an expectation. Mm -hmm. You'd be pleasantly surprised or not. Awkward stuff is going to happen when you have sex. Oh, my God. Be be ready to laugh. (laughs) Be ready to laugh. Please (laughs) laugh. The sounds. Yeah, the queefing. You Mm -hmm. might fart. That happens. Or that weird sweat suction sound. The belly to belly thing. Belly to belly. Yeah, I've always said that if if there's like intelligent life and they watched us having any sex, they'd be like, you people are weird. <laughs> the things <laughs> you do to each other look so uncomfortable <laughs> is how I would imagine it. Um, Ray, can I ask you real quick? You did not enjoy your first time. No, I did not. Mm, can we talk about that? Sure we can. Yeah. So the first time I had sex, I was raped. Uh, I was very, very drunk. And uh, somebody um, was trying to get me to go back to uh, my dorm room with them. And it was, you know, it was only like a couple miles away. So I was like, no, I'm just going to walk. It's fine. And uh, I tried to avoid them several times. And uh, I did manage to escape them there at the party. Um, I got home. I was back at my dorm room. She was sitting on my door waiting for me. And I was pretty well inebriated. I managed to get myself in the dorm room, uh, get the door shut. She was there and I just didn't have any kind of control or any say in the matter. So it was not Mm. the best time ever. I'm so sorry. Damn dude. Yeah. That got real. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. it happens. And I think we need more men who speak up about it. Honestly. Uh, I, Terry Crews comes to mind, who was just talking about this, and uh, a couple of fellows on, I don't know, Instagram or Twitter, I'm, I'm 
like the grandpa. I don't have any of these. <laughs> I, I still call it the Facebook. The Facebook. The Facebook. The people on the Facebook were calling out <laughs> Terry Crews. And I just thought that this this is ridiculous. Again, this uh, What were they calling him out for? Were they mad that he was recalling what happened to him? Uh, that he should have manned up, I believe. Right, exactly. He should have fought them off. Uh, right. You know, Terry Crews is a big dude. Right. And if that guy's going to get raped, like. Well, also, too, I, I think society is so uncomfortable with the idea of women as sexual abusers that they think that that in order for a woman to rape a man, the man must be complicit and must sure. enjoy it. But your body betrays you. We've, we've mm -hmm. talked about this. We've on talked about that. Well, there's also you don't want to be offensive to people. You don't want to make an uncomfortable situation worse. So you're like, I'm just going to comply. You know, that happens with I mean. I've definitely had that before where I've been in an unsafe situation. And I mean, I had a partner that like, I don't want to use the word rape, but I definitely let him put himself inside me in mm -hmm. order to avoid other violent outbursts. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think it's tough with young men, especially like, you know, boners happen when the wind changes, when there's <laughs> no wind, there's a smell, <laughs> you heard something like mm -hmm. they can be pretty constant. So, you know, it, Erection is not consent. Mm -hmm. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. And with that, let's go into some of our news media stuff we were talking about. Uh, please rate us on iTunes. That helps more people find us. Feel free to follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows for all of our extra content. Oh, by the way, we're making videos today. Jen's going to tell me about the time someone puked on her back today. Backside. Backside. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So what do we have? Um, this article you forwarded me, Jen, Defending Rape Cases as a Feminist by Anna Dorn. Yeah, I found this article really interesting because I feel like I get a lot of blowback in my personal life with people like I uh, I have clients who've done some have been accused of some very, very serious things. And I have a lot of friends in my personal life that wonder that always assume that I'm only defending them and investigating on their side because I think that they're innocent. Mm. Um, and that's not always the case. And that's not always my role. Mm -hmm. And I'm always struggling on how to explain this to people in a, in a way that's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Anna Dorn starts this out. She says, my friends were shocked to hear that I, a devout feminist and low-key misandrist, were, was representing a convicted rapist. They were even more surprised to learn that I was able to do so without feeling my feminism compromised. So he's innocent, they'd ask. No, I'd say my clients are rarely innocent. Well, there's uh, there's another awesome quote just a little ways down from that, and talking talking about, you know, the feminism of of 2017, 2018, and um, just talking about how feminism has been co-opted by capitalism, mm -hmm. and capitalism has a powerful ability to eviscerate nuance. Mm -hmm. The feminism of 2017 is black and white. It points fingers and screams moral absolutisms without any understanding of how the power structures in which we are all complicit work to enable oppressive male behavior. Yeah, and the 2017 feminism is the uh, futures female shirts and like feminist, the pillows and like those are cool, but I mean, that's not enough. And who's making them and where's the money going and who owns the companies? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I think that you can still believe the woman and also criticize a prison industrial complex that's invested in imprisoning in, in its sticking, own citizens right the uh, the thing that 
that you were saying about um, you know, maybe these these guys have problems with their own or or things like that. You know, we we would sum it up and say they have trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And you might not necessarily have some major life trauma or life events. There is um, uh, neglect that occurs uh, in a lot of lives uh, in a lot of you know perfectly normal, ostensibly finger quotes here normal. Um, middle-class homes where children are just neglected um, and men are in a space where we are raised in a culture that um, it is difficult at the moment. Uh, I, I believe we are stuck sort of between our father's generation and an and emerging generation of people who are um, our children's generation see, seeing themselves as feminists and seeing themselves as you know understanding uh, masculinity and seeing themselves in that that feminist role as well where they they want to be the change you know they don't want to continue to perpetrate this but you know men aren't raised with the skills quite honestly uh, we don't have as many feeling words because of the way we're raised the acculturation is part of the problem here and um, it's it's we we are punishing people who they don't, don't know how to help themselves. No, I mean, don't. really, they don't know how to help themselves, and we don't know how to help them either. Well, and I don't want to. I don't want to excuse the behavior. I don't think it's it's purely out of ignorance or things like that. But but I think that we have to realize that this is a systemic problem, and that the answers are probably going to be systemic. Right. So Anna Dorn in this piece, she says, "I too worry that in focusing all our attention on harshly punishing the quote evil perpetrators." We might be missing the root of the issue, our collective societal failure to properly educate both men and women on appropriate and consensual sexual behavior. So it goes back to how do we talk about sex? Like what I said earlier, if you were saying, right, if something doesn't feel good or I don't remember when you said it, if something doesn't feel good, you can request that you stop doing that. And a lot of people regular people don't know how to say stuff like that. They're like, mm-hmm. ah, that hurts. They don't want to say that. They could say, oh, can we do this instead? But if no one suggested that to you, you don't know how to say it. So you have a lot of women who aren't voicing their needs because they don't want to upset the insecure partner who doesn't know how to deal with criticism. <laughs> yeah, we, we, don't, we have people who don't know how to say it and we have people who don't know how to hear it. Yeah, what else? Well, also, too, um, I think that as far as sex offenses go, it's really in- impossible to look at them without also thinking about the t- race and criminal justice. Yeah. Mm. And that the bulk of sex crimes, it went, okay. So I know that sex crimes rarely get, you know, it's only the tip of the iceberg what actually gets reported. It's like one or two percent of reported ones become convicted after they're charged. And look at the racial makeups of those Mm -hmm. crimes. And that to me is very, very disturbing. What's the racial makeup? I mean, there's I mean, we know there's more black people incarcerated. And that's what what I'm referring to in this scenario is that it's there's a very big burden on people of color being charged and accused of these crimes and that's mm-hmm. that's worthy of another look um also because in this country too there's like a legacy of that the black boogeyman and pure mm. white womanhood dragging away the white woman in the alley when most rape is actually intra-racial committed by people of the same race most white people that commit rape are raping other white people because these are the people they tend to be in relationship with Right. You know, like, what is it? Half of the women who are murdered are murdered by their past or current partners. Well, most people have a relationship within their race. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's getting to these relational issues. And I sent you the piece. This is why this other article comes up. Why lengthy prison sentences aren't the best punishment for rapists. This is by Eric Levitz. And he's just, yeah, he's bringing up a lot of what you said also, where it's like, even though our incarceration rate, our American incarceration rate is three and a half times as high as the median rate in Europe, um, the victim victimization rates are comparable, but we tend to stick people in there longer. And we also maybe don't have the resources to like reintegrate them. So in this uh, medium piece, back to this Anna Dorn one, um, She's quoting this, another public defender who practiced law for 20 years and told me that in two of the three rape cases she's had, her client believed the woman, the woman was consenting to sex. In one of these cases, the victim was an alcoholic blackout 
and her client was developmentally delayed. So you have a person that maybe doesn't understand mm. nuance and then also was never told, oh, hey, I got my hair done yesterday. Look at my hair, by the way, guys. Look, it's all sleek. Um, the lady doing my hair yesterday, she was telling me that she has a, I can say that she's not bummed about it. She has a nephew. She's a 16-year-old nephew that they have consent conversations. She said, we've had eight consent conversations. And she asked him, um, what do you do if he'll say, give me another, give me another scenario. And she presents him with these scenarios. She says, what are you doing if you're having sex? And the girl says, stop. He says, I pull out. She says, okay, what are you doing when she's drunk? And she says she wants to have sex. And he said, well, am I drunk too? And she says, sure. Um, and he says, are we in a relationship? And she says, okay, sure. Pretend you are. And he says, okay, well then if she wants to, and my friend says, well, how do you know she wants to? And he was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's these, tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky. And I just don't think that prison is the best way. If you really care about putting people back into society after they've hurt someone, after they've hurt someone, that the prison environment is not a place where you're going to be getting help no. and, and learning consent. <laughs> no, but then it's difficult because we have these people who were not doing something. They didn't, they didn't have a misunderstanding. Like in the case of Brock Turner, right. he raped her behind a dumpster. There was pine needles in her vagina. He left her there. You know, he actually ran away from the boys that were chasing him that got, that tackled him and held him down. So that is different and we're not defending stuff like that. There's still You can give a meaningful and rigorous punishment that doesn't have to involve long-term incarceration. I mean, I I'm not familiar with all of all of the nuances of Brock Turner's case, but I from what I understand, didn't he just get something that was like 6 months six of probation? Months. Yeah, it was a slap. Yeah, yeah it was a slap months. like um, I think probation is a scam and a lot of, you know, it's a scam and it really fucks the poor over and also doesn't do any good. But I think maybe sentencing to somebody to serious outpatient treatment where they're held accountable and have a therapist, I, I mm -hmm. think that would be more effective. And I'm not talking for, you know, a year, like years Constant, of therapy. Yeah, like 10 years or something. Um, it would be really, really cool if instead of putting people um, locked up, if, yeah, we could have a caseworker. Because I imagine that would be as cost efficient and maybe way cheaper than housing people. But the money is in the companies that own the prisons. Well, so. I think technically probation officers are also supposed to be caseworkers but I mean, of like, sort. But it, in it, a different, the system is so overburdened and punitive. But the caseworker would be like maybe a therapist, someone like someone like Ray, who would be like, okay, how did we get to this point where your sexual interaction went like this and mm. you didn't understand? How could we do it different? What would we do different? You know, how did we get here? How can we make sure this doesn't happen again? But that would be the hallmark of a much more like rational and less vengeful society <laughs> than we have yeah. now that doesn't really, who says, how can I care about the rehabilitation of criminals when my family member's life is ruined and they don't have this opportunity which are which is also fair quite fair question too i mean i don't have all the answers it's hard when you're talking about rape because there's billions of people in the world and there's all these interactions are so you know no two rapes are the same <laughs> really but also one more thing from this medium piece uh author alice siebold of the lovely bones she says that people tend to imagine rape quote like a thud she was raped end of story um but in representing accused rapists, uh, this person, Smith, I might have to cut that. Where'd it go? Oh, I liked this quote. Hold on, guys. Do -do. Uh, this person in the medium piece says that with rape, there was nothing seamless, fluid, or formulaic about it. It's often messy, awkward, prolonged, and bizarre. And these are usually communication issues, I think. So... Cool, guys. Well, we have another, just another minute to wrap it up. Um, so, Ray, people can find you on Ray at livingauthenticity.com or text or call. What do you prefer? Call. Call 971-236-3531. And you're located in Portland, Oregon. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we'll keep talking about this stuff. God, I wish we had an easy answer to how to solve rape guys in one hour. <laughs> if that's what anyone was expecting to hear, then I'm sorry, but we don't have those answers. Would have been nice. It would have been nice. Um, maybe what are, next time. Yeah, maybe next time. What are the tie-ins? We need to be able to talk about our bodies sooner, talk about consent sooner, be able to ask for what we want, be able to hear no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other takeaways? How, last question you two, what do you guys do to be a better partner, to be more respectful partner? Think about Um, it. I don't make statements that say, you are this way, you are a jerk, you are stupid, or you always do this, because that's, that's really limiting. And accusatory, yeah. Yeah. And people take, I don't know, I know when people. People immediately go defensive. Yeah. Absolutely. And also when people say those things to me, there's always a little part of me that kind of believes it, not consciously, but then says, well, I always do this. So Mm. what about you, Ray? Um, I think I try and over communicate. Um, Maybe that's being a therapist. Maybe that's just the way I am. But uh, I would rather ask twice about it and be sure. Um, And again, consent, things like that. That's Mm -hmm. really important to me. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Until next time. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com.